How many people has he plucked from the grave? Over the decades. Me included. You know, you know I, I became a Christian when I was 39. 39. I know you're thinking 12 years ago. It's a bit longer than that. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, just like Michael said, he pulled me from the pit from hell. It wasn't me. It was him. Right. Um, Hebrews 12. We're going to start with in here somewhere, I've seen it. There you go. <laughs> of course, it's a, it's a very well-known passage. Therefore, since we've been surrounded by such a great cloud, you're right? Yeah, starting at verse one, sorry. Therefore, since we have surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that's set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and was skate and is seated now at the right throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. You know, when we used to go on our family holiday, me and my two sisters, man, the preparation that went into that. You'd think we were going for three months, not a week. And my dad would get everything out, the suitcases, the bags, He'd actually, in the boot, have everything in its right place where it should go so nothing would slip if he had to break hard or his bottle of scotch wouldn't spill. But that's a sermon for another day. And just in case, my mother used to take a loaf of bread and toast it all, <laughs> butter it all, and put it back into the uh, bag, the bread bag itself. And we used to skitter as children doing this. Because by the time we got into an hour into our journey, the toast was like cardboard. And she'd hand it round saying, do you want any? We'd all go, no, you're right, mother. It's fine, it's fine, it's fine. We're okay, thank you. Until, until we hit a three-hour traffic jam that, that journey. And thankfully, my parents were ones who plan and prepare. And I tell you now, that toast, toast never tasted so good on that part. Thankfully, she had the sense to prepare things beforehand just in case on a journey. You know, don't know who there. If you don't know who I am, I'm a farmer for my sins. And you know, in farming, it's very much like a journey. Every year, it's like a journey. And this time of year, traditionally, we're normally out ploughing ground. We're not now at the minute because you can get put a foot on the ground, let alone a wheel. But that ploughing is preparing for something 
beyond what we can see and feel. And you have to ask yourself, why are we ploughing? Why are we ploughing this time of year? What's the sense behind it? And like every farmer, the ultimate goal for every farmer is the harvest. That's what they're looking to in 12 months' time, or whatever it may be. And there's so many unknowns between you putting the plough in the ground this time of year to actually what's going to happen in 10, 12 months' time, because it's totally out of your control. But you plant the crop, you put it in the ground, you nurture it, you make it grow, you feed it, you make sure no nasties get round it so it has its full potential to get there. But like every farming, the fortnight you want sun out, what happens? It rains. <laughs> we had a disaster this last harvest. We only got half of it in. We ended, I've ended up spending four times as much money to get the, the bales in than what it would have cost me to actually bale it myself. It has cost us an absolute fortune. Now, you could get disillusioned with all of this, disheartened, frustrated, thinking, why bother? Why bother go again? But, you know, there's something about farming that gets you up and gets you going. Says, We're going to put that behind us. That's a former thing that we've had to have experience. And as farmers, we will come together as a body and we'll go forward again. We will break up that unploughed ground with a plough and we will go again. Because again, perpetually, we look forward to the next harvest and the next harvest and the next harvest. Because the one that we had two years before that had been absolutely brilliant. Yields have been coming in, the quality of the hay has been fantastic. And those times you think, yes, that was worth it. But you know, last year, yes, it was worth it. It has to be worth it. Otherwise, what's the point in going again? See, like that journey we went on as kids, we knew the destination. We knew where we were going. It's that unknown between the starting point and getting there. But you know, the harvest isn't the key. The starting point is the key. Because if you don't prepare your ground properly, you will not get a harvest, whatever the weather's doing. If you're going to put your seeds on poor, hard ground, you'll end up with virtually nothing anyway. That's why you've got to put the effort in to break up the ground. Because that ground that you're putting a crop on is last year's harvest. That's gone. That's dealt with. So therefore, you've got to start again. You know, I often look at trees this time of year. And looking out the window there, they look dead. Not doing anything much. You know what? Those trees are preparing. They're preparing for fruit within a season. At the right time, at the right point. Those trees are not dead. They are resting, ready to go again. And through the spring and the summer, they're going to be nourished, fed, grow. And in the end, they will bear fruit in season. 
That is a journey the trees are on. That's nature when you look at it. It may look dormant now, but they are preparing. <coughs> As farmers, we have to have a lot of faith. <laughs> you know, we have to have a lot of faith. Faith that what we've put our effort in actually produces something at the end. And it's through faith that hope comes. It's through faith that hope comes that you get a harvest at the end of it all. Hosea 10.12 says this, Break up your unplowed ground. Some call it fallow ground or whatever. Because that unbroken ground that Hosea was talking about were former things. It was in the past. You don't see it anymore. You don't want it anymore. So you've got to bury it and get rid of it. And the best one you can do with that is the plow. The plow itself. And to break it up, the plow goes in and smashes it to pieces. And what the plow does, it buries everything as it turns it over. But like everything else, there are different, I don't know what sort of soil they had at that time, or where they were, might probably sand be in the desert, I'm guessing. But there's all sorts of soils out there. You've got from sand, to loams, to clays. I think they distinguish it by 16 different types of soil. And every soil needs treating differently. You're jammy if you've got sandy soil because you turn the plow over, it's beautiful. It's absolutely lovely. You can put a seed straight on the top of it. You get clay down in the east and you've got to really work that ground hard. You've got to really smash it up to make a seed bed of it. On our farm, we've got everything. You name it, we've got the soil. You can stand here and you're in sand. You can be in the corner, but you can be clay. You can be over there and you can be in moss. It, it, how do you work that out? You can't just do a clay field with different implements and leave it. Man, we used to have like seven or eight different implements breaking up different areas of a field because that's the sort of farm we've got. But every implement is designated a different reason to break up the soil. There's powerhouses, there's discs, there's the plough, there's cultivators, there's a list as long as my arm, and every one of them has got a function to make a seedbed depending on what sort of soil it's trying to make a seed bed of. And like I say, despite all the preparations, though, the frustrating thing is that harvest could fail out of something totally out of your control called the weather. <laughs> and it is easy to get disillusioned. So easy. It's heartbreaking sometimes when you put all that money and effort into something and within three days, it's completely destroyed and you can't get it out. There's potatoes in my, field, in my fields now that should have been dug before Christmas. It's been that wet, you can't get anywhere near them. They're just rotting quietly. 30 acres of it, <coughs> you'll not see them. That, and that's, that's farming in its... You know, in Haggai 1.6, it says, you sow much, but you harvest little. And the reason they were doing it is they were trying to sow on hard ground. They were trying to sow on unfertile ground. So the seed would lie there and put plenty of seed on, 
You could cover the ground with seed, but because the soil was so poor and badly managed, the harvest was a complete nonsense. And in Haggai's time, I believe that they got disheartened, disillusioned. This is why they left the ground where it was. What's the point? Why bother? It's the same when they would... Um, Haggai said, why are, you, why are you sitting around? Why aren't you building the temple? I think they got so disheartened and so disillusioned about the temple that they compared it with, of Solomon's, to the one that God was asking them to build now. Why bother? It's not going to look anything like that. You know, there's a guy, a geezer, who witnessed a city being completely destroyed. Totally blown up. Bodies everywhere. He was heartbroken. He was on his knees, sobbing. He was angry with God, saying, why have you done this? And yet this fella gathers the survivors around him, and he writes this. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. How the heck do you pick yourself up from that and write those words? The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Despite the devastation I am looking at, his mercies are new every morning, despite my anger with him, and great is his faithfulness. Amen. Of course, we know he's one of the greatest prophets ever wrote, Jeremiah, when he wrote it in Lamentations. And I read it and I wonder, how on earth did he get up and do that? And I believe... that he looked at the declaration God made him in his previous letter. And I've actually got it embossed on my Bible as Karen does. And the declaration the Lord gave Jeremiah at that point was, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not harm you, but what? Give you a hope and a future. That's what got Jeremiah back on his feet, having been heartbroken to say, that's what the Lord is about. He gives me a hope and a future. Hope. It's not what the world looks for. I hoped for a purple Capri once. <laughs> that's never turned up. It's probably too late by now. I hope Newcastle will win the Premiership. <laughs> yeah, that's a pipe dream, isn't it, Dave? Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, quite. I hope my two children come to the Lord one day. I hope the rest of my family look to me and maybe see Jesus somewhere in there and declare their lives to him. But that's variable. It's the unknown in the journey. I can't control that. And that's the hope the world looks to. The variables that go on up and down. We have a certain hope. 
We have a certain hope. In who? Jesus Christ. He is the one our hope lives in. He is the one that says, I am going to bring you a hope in the future. Not the world. Because it's certain. It's immovable. See, our hope comes from a belief. What are we believing in? What the world tells us? Or are we believing in what the Lord tells us? Even in times of despair, frustration, disillusionment, heartbreak, the why we moments, it's faith that brings hope. You know, I was speaking in Bickerstaff last week, and one of the readings was Romans 4, when we're justified by faith. Justified, but not works, faith. And in there, in that little passage, I noticed Abraham. And it says, because I can never remember, because I got hopeless in that. In hope he believed against all hope. In hope he believed against all hope. His hope he believed was in the Lord against all hope that the world was thinking of. He had just been told at that point that he's going to be father of the nations. What? I'm 120 years old and my wife is barren. How on earth am I going to be the father of all nations? What did he do? It's by faith that justified him to allow him to say, I can hope in a God that keeps his promises. Never moves, never shakes. My hope is in Jesus. My hope is in the Lord that whatever he says is certain and true. I mean, you could talk about Isaac in the same way. Man, that, <laughs> Tom and I were talking about that on Thursday or taking him home. He says, what a, what, a, what a conversation around the kitchen table that would be with Isaac. What did you do today? Well, Daddy took me up the hill <laughs> with a sheep. And then Daddy got this really long rope out. <laughs> and then Daddy tied me to this brick. And Sarah's going, what? <laughs> Abraham's thinking, oh, it's just kids' imagination, isn't it? You know. <laughs> then Daddy got out a big knife <laughs> and came towards me. And thankfully, he killed a lamb. <laughs> Abraham meanwhile is going shut up will you <laughs> mince sauce anybody <laughs> but you know Abraham had faith in that reading where it says the witnesses that went before us there's a great list of people in the Bible who had faith in God that gave them hope you can read it, there's Noah, there's Moses you name it, they're in there and why do they, by faith hope that's what brought them through. When Noah got told to build a blooming great boat in the middle of the desert, hello? <laughs> you know, Jesus came. Why? Well, to start with, to break up the unbroken ground. Because that broken ground was sterile. That sterile ground 
was sin. Death, guilt, shame, fear. And Jesus brought his plough along and buried the lot to bring up fertile ground to sow what? Seed on it. And why did he do it? Because of the harvest. You know, Jesus said, the harvest is ready, but the workers are few. There's only one person who can ever bring the harvest in, and that's Jesus Christ. He's the only one. We, thankfully, partner him in it. We've been called to partner with him. Not through our own strength and own will and all want, but to allow him to inhabit in here, to allow him to work through us to bring in the harvest. And that was the joy set before him in this passage. The joy for me when you read that is twofold. Firstly, the joy set before him was knowing his destination. He knew exactly where he was going to go eventually to sit at the right hand of the Father. But secondly, that joy set before him is you and me. It is you and me that sets that joy before him. Why? Because when he gathers in the harvest, we join him in glory. We join him in glory. And that's what his joy was set before him at the cross, to kill off the shame, despise it, to saying that this is not the end. The destination is for me and my followers to go and sit in glory with the Father. Amen? We're made righteousness, not what we've done, not what we do, our status, whatever. It's by faith that gives us certain hope in Jesus. Karen, can you put the words up, love, when you're ready? Now, verse 1. This, obviously, is a very famous song. Now, I'm not going to ask you to sing it, but what I want us to do is actually stand up and declare it as truth. Declare who Jesus is and what he came to do. Because when we declare it as a body of people, the enemy will flee. The reason why I didn't ask you to sing it, because if I start singing it, more than the enemy will start fleeing. It's first what, I mean, to be honest with you, we could do the whole song as a declaration, but my dinner's going to be ready soon, so. <laughs> so we're not. So, together, we're going to say this. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace. When fears are stilled, when striving is ceased, my comforter, my all in all. Here is the love of Christ I stand. Amen. Right, you can sit down. Thanks, Karen.
as some of you have been aware, we've been doing it now for course. And it's been brilliant. It's been really, really good. Uh, we had a look at the Holy Spirit last, last week, and it was really encouraging, wasn't it, Dave? Really encouraging to get people talking and sharing and what have you. But the previous week to that, we were looking at how God guides us. And right at the very end, and I can't remember whose quote it is, Michael being the brains of the outfit will remember it straight away when I say it. But it said this on the wall, it was painted up on the wall, it says, do not judge me by my successes, but how many times I get up and get going again. Wow, I thought, wow, that's powerful. Do not judge me by my successes, but how many times I get up again, and boy, I've got up a few times, and get up and get going again. Thank you. You see, he told you the brain's outfit would have it, wouldn't you? <laughs> so Jesus is inviting us this morning to go on a journey with him. And it might take endurance to get there, but do we know where our destination lies? I hope so. <laughs> it's with him in glory. The problem is, the bit in between preparing and getting there is a bit of an unknown. See, Jesus wants us to prepare. This is a key time for the church. Because preparation brings in a good harvest. Because if we have poor preparation... We're not going to get a harvest, no matter what we do. And it's preparation that's key to what's going to happen in the future. Yes. Jesus wants to prepare now the church, and I don't believe it's just OCF either. Because once we prepare and prepare well, we will nurture and we will grow by being fed. And once you get nurtured and growing, one day there's going to be some fantastic harvest when he comes, isn't there? When souls are gathered once again to him. But folks, we've got a job to do. His hands and feet and eyes and ears are the ones he's using today to start preparing souls. We can't be sitting in here thinking, what a great sermon this is, because it's brilliant, isn't it? Let's face it, it's really good. <laughs> Big myself up, it's all right, I'll do it. Seriously, we, it's all right doing all this worship, and it's fantastic, don't you? and we need building up, and it's brilliant when we come to a body of Christ together to worship the Lord. There's nothing better. But out there, there's a hurting world to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. But unless we're prepared first... It's going nowhere. We've got a long journey, and it's going to take endurance. And there's going to be disappointments, and there's going to be suffering, and there's going to be rejection and disillusionment on the way. But we can't compare it to former things. Jesus is calling us today to a new start to pick up our plough, go and bury that unfallowed ground, break it up and bury it, whatever is holding you and me back. 
And like those soils, each and every one of us are different. And each and every one of us will need different implements to break up that soil. And that's for you and God to discuss. Because we're all in different places, all got different personalities. Some of us are clay, some of us are sand, some of us are moss, etc., etc., etc. But we need to seek the Lord and ask him, how do I break up my unfallow ground so you can sow seed on my soil so it may grow and nourish to bring in a harvest? By his great faithfulness, God promises, get rid of the former. See, it's tempting to go straight into the harvest, isn't it? Let's face it. It's natural to think, yeah, let's just go and get them. But there's a reason for the season. There's a reason for the season. There's a reason why we're in this season right now. And another season will come at another point in God's time. Yeah, not ours, God's time. You know, our mission statement is what? Habitation of God's presence within the community. <coughs> Why? I mean, they're not just fancy words. They're not just something we're going to stick over our front door of the church to make thinking, oh, that's good. There's a reason why that's our mission statement. There's a reason why, because we're called to get in the harvest through it. Our mission statement starts with preparation, growing and nurturing, and in the community to go and gather souls in. That's the whole point of our mission statement. And how do we get there? The way of life. Again, it wasn't designed on the back of an envelope. So the leaders get together to what, what do you think we should do? This is serious stuff. Because the way we get prepared and the way we grow and the way we get nourished is by doing the way of life. By praising God, by getting into his word, fasting and sabbathing when we feel it's necessary. These are the preparation grounds God's calling us to do now. Why? Because he wants us to be a habitation for him to go out in the community to gather souls in for himself. I wrote this down. I don't know. It must be a spiritual thing because I would have never thought of this. <laughs> hold on to, do we hold on to the variable hope in an ever-changing world? Or do we hold out on a certain hope of a never-changing God? Amen. Shall I say that again so you can write it down? Because it's good, isn't it? <laughs> do we hold on to variable hope in an ever-changing world or do we hold on to the certain hope of a never-changing God? <laughs> hold on. Do we hold on to a variable hope in an ever-changing world? You got that bit? Good lad. Or do we hold on to a certain hope of a never-changing God? 
Now, we've been looking at Haggai. I don't know whether you've realized this <laughs> for the past X weeks, and it's been brilliant. I've, I've loved it. And one thing I noticed when I've read it and read it again, because Mike's told me to read it again and again and again and again, I spotted this. When they started, when did God bless the people of Haggai? See, he didn't bless them when they'd finished the end bit, the temple, the destination, when it had all done and finished and done and dusted. He blessed them when they got up, picked up their tools, and started to build. That's when he blessed them. And he's asking us to do the same. We may feel disillusioned, disheartened. That hardened ground become a hardened heart if we're not careful. But Ezekiel 36 says this, I have their hearts of stone I will break and I will give them a heart of flesh. So if you feel your heart is hardened this morning, I'm going to give time for people to be prayed for afterwards. Not just that, but if you're feeling disillusioned, frustrated, God, why me? Let's do what Jeremiah did. Get up and declare the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. You know, we may endure many things on this journey set before us. And like farming, our seasons are perpetual sometimes. We have seasons of productivity. And we'll have seasons where we'll fall short. We'll have seasons of fruitfulness and seasons of failure. Seasons of nurturing and growing, but also seasons of preparation. But we need to look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. For we also have joy, despite all what's going on out there. We have joy. Despite what that journey throws at us, that toast will taste good one day, you know? One day we will be in glory with him. When that harvest is gathered in, until then, let's be a season of preparation now to go into a season of nourishing and growing because that's what the Lord is calling us to do here and now. But first, we've got to unbreak that solid ground so it becomes fertile once again so he can work in it and through it to bring in a harvest. I'm going to finish by reading 1 Peter 3 to 13. Now, I want you to actually just sit back, <coughs> close your eyes if you want to, and just let these words just wash over us as I read them out. Blessed be the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope, to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith 
for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, that now for a little while, if necessary, and be grieved by various trials, so that be tested genuous of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may it be found to result in praise and glory and honor and revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you may not have seen him, you love him. Though you may not now see him, you believe in him. And let's rejoice with the joy that is inexpendable and filled with glory. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace by which by yours searched, inquired carefully, inquiring the person or time of the Spirit of Christ that was indicated when he predicted the sufferings of Christ but the subsequent glories. Let's pray. Somebody's in a hurry. Lord, I pray this morning that these are just not words from my mouth, but they are by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, distinguish between wheat and chaff to, chaff to what I've said this morning, because it's not about me and what I've said, it's all about you. So Lord, this morning, the words that you've preached through me May they be embedded in our hearts. May it not just be words of a sermon that we walk out the door in about 20 minutes' time and think, let's get on with the rest of the day now. But it percolates in us because you love us and you want the best for us. And Lord, I just thank you for the power of your word this morning. And whether we remember the whole thing or two words that impact us, may it be a difference in our lives. Yes, it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.